To the traitor Ambassador Jon Snow. You allowed thousands of wildlings past the wall. You have betrayed your own kind. You have betrayed the North. Winterfell is mine, bastard. Come and see. Your brother Rickon is in my dungeon. His direwolf skin is on my floor. Come and see. I want my bride back. Send her to me, bastard, and I will not trouble you or your wilding lovers. Keep her from me, and I will ride north and slaughter every wildling man, woman, and babe living under your protection. You will watch as I skin them living. You... Go on. Just more of the same. You will watch as my soldiers take turns raping your sister. You will watch as my dogs devour your wild little brother. Then I will spoon your eyes from their sockets and let my dogs do the rest. Come and see. Ramsay Bolton, Lord of Winterfell, the Warden of the North. Game of Thrones, oh my god. There's dragons. Gotta watch it. You see them, there's this fight scene with the fire. And some of them are really smart. Winter's counting. I'm helpless. The guy who has a season of all along. I'll see you again. Watch your ass. Sister Kari's me. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our king. Dracarys. Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we're reviewing episode four, Book of the Stranger. Directed by Daniel Sackheim again, written by Benioff and Weiss. I didn't actually get a number on the amount of viewers for this week, so I'm not sure. We can start off with some fun facts and general things before we get into our overview. Probably one of the biggest topics for this episode obviously was Danny and her big moment on taking over the Dothraki and yes. emerging unburnt yet again as a callback to season one. So a lot of people were asking about the nudity that she had in this scene because apparently she had put a clause in a contract in her contract made a big deal about never being nude again and we actually talked about it in our podcast uh, last season I believe. Yeah so I think people were a little bit surprised to see that again. I didn't read too much about her protesting this, but I think the big thing was she didn't want to do it just for the sake of doing it. There's a lot of nudity for <laughs> very little reason on Game of Thrones often, at least up until this season. We haven't really had a lot this season. No, we haven't. Actually, while we, when the episode started, we are in the living room, I, I believe I said, I don't think we've seen any tits this season. <laughs> and then they delivered. Yeah, so I, I think her reasoning was if it makes sense and it furthers the plot line, if it's for a bigger purpose, then she would do it. And she did go on record to say, I'd like to remind people the last time I took my clothes off was season three. That was a while ago. It's now season six. But this is all me, all proud, all strong. I'm just feeling genuinely happy. I said, yes, this ain't no body double. 
She continued, taking off my clothes is not the easiest thing, but with the magic of effects, I don't have to do a season one and go on a cliff in front of lots of extras. I'm in control of it. I did a scientific study on the circumference of her boobs in this <laughs> scene and in the original scene when she's naked, and it matches. Does We're it equal good. perfection? It does. Because I'm pretty sure they looked damn perfect. Yeah. <laughs> she's a hottie. Also, we made some predictions in our podcast for episodes one, two, and three, some of which have sort of come true, some of which have yet to play out, so I just want to go back to those for a minute. In episodes one and two, Michelle said that she thought Bran might affect the past by going into his visions and trying to change them. Right. Potentially, we might have seen that with the Tower of Joy scene where he called out to his father. Yes. So we're not sure if... This is just going to be whispers on the wind and Ned thinks he hears something or if he could actually change things yet. Yeah, I think we're still, we don't know if that prediction is right, but I believe we're, we are going to be right on that. We saw the tip of the iceberg at least. Yeah. Last episode, I thought that Danny might get out of this situation in Vase Dothrak by getting the Dosh Kaleen on her side. Then I revised that and said, well, even if she got these old crones to believe in her and want to fight for her, how would that help? She would actually have to get all of the Dothraki on her side. Yep. And how amazing that would be if that happened. I had no idea how she would do that. I actually thought she might talk her way into it or show them something amazing that would get them to respect her. Like maybe the dragons would come, something, yeah. And it seemed as though she was trying to do that in the beginning. And when they started talking and seemingly past the point of no return with her, that's when she was like, all right, well, you all need to die. And without getting too far into it, we'll talk about that when we get to her scene. I was a little dismayed at first that we were just repeating what was cool about her actions in season one. You know, she goes into the fire, she comes out unburnt and naked, and now... She had followers. Everybody respects her. Yeah, but it was a small group of everybody. This is a big group of everybody. Yeah, and the spectacle was that much more tremendous in this one. I don't think it was repeating. I really enjoyed that part. And she did end up showing them reasons why they need to follow her. So that is a correct buzzer on our end. Absolutely. And just to go a little further into that, it does change things a little when you think back to the prophecy that the Dothraki have about this stallion who mounts the world. Mm -hmm. If you recall, they thought this was what her baby was going to become, her unborn child, when they were still at the Vase Dothrak, her and Caldrogo. And the women started chanting after she ate the stallion heart. Do you remember that scene when they were chanting in the room? She was eating that raw heart. We're going back, but yeah, I do believe so. Yeah, and they started saying things. What they said was, As swift as the wind he rides, and behind him his calisars cover the earth, men without number, with arax shining in their hands like blades of razor grass. Fierce as a storm this prince will be, his enemies will tremble before him. So this is an old prophecy about an individual who will rise to become the most powerful Cal ever. And she seems to believe now that that's her. I think so. Um, Read the first two sentences again. As swift as the wind he rides, and behind him his calisars cover the earth. So that could be also the dragons, their shadow. Yeah, and the calisars, all the people she just got on her side, men without number 
fierce as a storm the prince will be. Now, a lot of these prophecies, they do speak about males, but if you look to how they're interpreted in the old text, it Mm -hmm. actually doesn't really reflect gender. And that's true of another prophecy that we're going to talk about later. But for now, it seems as though we were definitely a little right on with Danny. Our final prediction was that we thought the Umbers were lying. They weren't really swearing fealty to Ramsey. This was kind of a ruse. We seem to be shot down a little bit on that, because if that's true, it didn't go so well, at least for Asha in this circumstance. I don't believe we're shot down because that might have been part of the plan. And Asha said, I'll get in the room with him and I'll take him out. I thought that too. And people were saying, oh, if that's the plan, it's really bad. And putting Rickon in danger, what kind of a plan is this? Part of the plan. There's got to be more to it. But yeah, I think there's more to it. I think she agreed. And I think perhaps it was a little crazy, but they didn't really care about risking her because who is she to them? Who is she to us either? She's a wildling. It wasn't shocking to us. We hadn't seen her in a year. Yeah, a lot of people were like, oh, but, you know, she's done so much over this this time to keep Bran and Rickon safe. But if you recall, in season one, she put a knife to them. She almost killed Bran. She was a pain. Uh, She's definitely come around to be a character we like a bit more. But to the Umbers, she's expendable, I believe. I believe so, too. I think that that could be true. Uh, Side note, I think that actress was pregnant. And they were trying to hide it. Yeah. She looked a little bit thicker on the midsection, and maybe that was an easy way to write her out of the story. Perhaps. Some of our other predictions are more long-term, such as John and Tyrion are actually secret Targaryens, uh, that the dragons and the direwolves could come back as reanimated whites, and that the White Walkers are all former kings of one sort or another in Westeros. So we'll see what happens with those. Yeah, that... that uh the dragons and the wolves coming back. That's uh, That was me wondering if they would. I really hope they don't. So I hope we're wrong on that one. I hope we get a big fat that one. But uh, so far we have, I forget about last year, but we had a lot of predictions that were right and a few that were wrong. But right now we have one right and three waiting. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, some of them are very long-term, like the fact that the Iron Throne isn't going to matter at the end of things. And that's a pretty shared prediction from a lot of people the final news that we have we sort of missed the boat right around our last podcast on may 10th there was another excerpt from the winds of winter that george released and it was an arianne chapter this time a bit longer so if you'd like to read that you're clamoring for more and you don't already know about it you probably do but that's available on georgerrmartin.com did you read it I read some of it. How is it? It's good. Uh, You were showing me a part that you really liked. He's very descriptive. Yes. That's what I love most about getting back into the books. You imagine these scenes so vividly. He paints such a beautiful picture. I think that's why book readers are constantly upset when the TV show changes even the smallest details. Yeah, because you you have... This great image built up in your (laughs) mind. Um, Arianne, the Martells, Dorn, that's always been one of the less exciting, probably the least exciting, if I have to say, uh, subplots of the storyline for me. I always find it hard to get into that. In case you don't read the books and you're wondering what I'm talking about, Prince Doran of Dorn, who we just recently saw killed, him and Ario on the TV show, we saw that he had one child, Tristane, who just died. But in the books, he actually has three. There's another son, Quentin, and a daughter, Arianne. 
So their whole plot continues to exist and move forward in the books right now. It's vastly different, probably the largest difference from book to TV. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's get into this episode, Book of the Stranger. We can start off with the title meaning, which didn't really carry through too much in this episode. The Stranger is the aspect of the Seven that represents death. The holy text of the faith of the Seven, the religion we see people worshiping most prominently in King's Landing, is called the Seven-Pointed Star. It's kind of like their Bible. And that's divided up into internal books, and they talk about each of the representations, one of them being the Stranger. We saw a bit of the High Sparrow conversating with Marjorie on this, and she mentioned the Book of the Stranger, but it's almost like it was stuffed in there so that they could follow the title. He also brings it up when he's talking to Jamie, or I might be wrong, where he's like, I fear the father, mm. I fear the mother, and one other one. I think Jamie says the Stranger, and he, he talks about oh, if yeah. he fears death or not. Normally, though, we see this carried through in lots of ways throughout the episode, that the title has multiple meanings, and I didn't really give it deep thought, but I can't find another area where that really seems to play heavily in. I thought we were going to see a lot of Arya and her taking this next step in her venture to become nobody. Right. Did we even see her? No. No. So it'll be heavy Arya next episode, probably. No, I don't think so, because they didn't really show her in the previews. Yeah, and so the Book of the Stranger, where is the meaning really other than that? Uh, I think it's a it's an underlining meaning that we won't know till later. I think it's a huge foreshadow. This meeting that they have, and I may be jumping and I apologize. When Tommen speaks to his mother mm -hmm. and tells her that, what's her name, uh, Marjorie, mm -hmm. is going to have to do the walk of shame, mm -hmm. basically that opens up this dialogue where they come in and they make a deal. Yep. Um, and you'll get into the details of that later. But I think what that's going to do, that's the foreshadow that there's going to be a lot of death coming. Oh, sure. In King's Landing. Yeah. And I, and some other deep meaning of this is going to happen throughout that scene or those scenes. Well, it's. I would hope that this High Sparrow speech is going to continue to unravel because for the time being in this episode it was a really long-winded story that didn't seem to have this deep meaning or anything really connected to it that I just sat there I was like this guy is just going on and on about nothing right now the story isn't even intense or relatable or deep yeah. or anything so I'm hoping that that continues to go somewhere because I'm a little frustrated with feeling the stallmate with the high sparrows and what's going on in King's Landing um but we'll get there more in a minute. We will, yeah. Back to the opening. The title sequence we've been talking about. King's Landing was back to the zoom in. So we did get a picture of yes. them coming back in. Uh, you got excited. <laughs> I really think that this is meaning something. I don't think they're just cutting and putting things in randomly. That is so not like Benioff and Weiss or Game of Thrones. I think that it's trying to reflect which areas are important. Um, for instance, the Eerie reappeared, and sure enough, we went back to Littlefinger and Robin in the Eerie this episode, whereas the Iron Islands and Bravos were both missing, and we got a very quick skim over of the Iron Islands and nothing with Arya and Bravos. We also did not see Dorne in this episode or Sam and Gilly in Old Town. For the places we did see and are going to talk about, let's start off at the Wall. While speaking of his betrayal to Ed, John is interrupted by the lookout horn. 
as soon as that horn blew, I was thinking, oh no, it's not just going to be one blast. Something bad is coming. This can't last very long. But no, it was just one. Before that happened, though, didn't you think Ed was sort of saying everything we were thinking last episode? After Hard Home, after everything you've seen with the Wildlings and and the White Walkers, John, how could you possibly leave? How could you leave us in this moment? He was sort of the audience there, right? Yeah, definitely. He spoke for us. So I was happy about that. And John's answer was so flippant. He didn't even give him a real response. It was like, oh, I got to go get warm. Which was really well, he like, was being sarcastic. Well, though. clearly, but it really was like he didn't have a purpose or a plan until this moment, which was really frustrating to me. But they Maybe s- that's the part of him that died, his purpose. That's what I've been questioning. Did we actually lose something? He looks yeah. and talks like the same John, but this is never an action he would take in the past. No. Even if people had tried to murder him, which was his answer to Ed, and everyone's like, oh, that shut Ed up. But... Despite that, he's Ned's son, and that wouldn't put him off a duty and a responsibility as large as this to just leave. Let's not forget everything he's gone through. He's gone north of the wall three times, Mm -hmm. one of which to fight White Walkers. Twice, yeah. Twice, okay. Well, the third time was the short walk to where the uh, wildlings were camping. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's been through a lot, but the old John, it would be hard to see him leaving without a very good reason. But they do kind of sidestep that by giving you a good reason, come in right away. And Sansa, Brienne, and Pod arrive. Sansa and John have a reunion here where they first see each other and... There's a lot of staring at each other, slowly walking to each other. (laughs) There's this affectionate embrace. There are... There's music playing in the background. Mm-hmm. It's a string sequence. So I've been listening to some other podcasts, and they're saying that this song has meaning, that this could be the actual song of ice and fire that's playing in the background when they see each other. Now, <laughs> I wasn't sure I hadn't heard anything about that before, this being an actual song and, and what it would sound like and where are other times we might have heard this played on Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones. So I went and tried to do some looking for titles of the songs, things that had played in this episode, and I couldn't find it yet. Um, So if anybody has any information about that, if this does have a deeper meaning with the scoring. Yeah, let's. you want to listen to the song real quick? Yeah, let's see if we can hear it. So I definitely recognize the scoring, mm-hmm. the strings feels there. Familiar. It feels very familiar, but perhaps just as something we hear in dramatic moments throughout mm-hmm. this series. I don't know if it's yeah, I don't know either. Connect in a bigger way. I'll tell you, they do use that the string sequence often. Um, maybe not that melody. Mm-hmm. When they're reading the letter from Ramsey, there's the same strings, the same uh, key. They're in the same key. They're not doing that melody. Mm-hmm. It's more ominous, mm-hmm. but uh, that it's, it might be a clue. 
I think people are really trying to pull for something here about this prince that was promised prophecy. Mm -hmm. So we hear Melisandre afterwards talking to Jon. Um, she's telling Davos that she was wrong about Stannis, that Jon is the prince that was promised. This is all still true. She just made a mistake. And Davos is really upset about that. But in case you don't know or have forgotten, we talked a little bit last season about the prince that was promised. This is a prophesied leader or savior. They foretell of the coming of a hero to deliver the world from darkness. They say that a bleeding star will herald the coming of the prince. There's a lot of talk about that, that in the books, that the bleeding star could be the red comet that we hear about in the TV series. Okay. And that did come right around the time of several important people and events. So, you know, each of the different characters are trying to connect that to themselves. You know, oh, that happened during my birth, so it's got to be me. I'm the prince that was promised or, you know, different things like that. Uh, there were some other qualifications. One of them is that he is said to have a song of ice and fire. We don't really know what that means. They also speak about Azor Ahai, which is sort of another name for the same prophecy, a prince that's going to be reborn. He will be born again amidst smoke and salt. Now that very frequently points to Danny because she was born from fire. During the no, she was oh. when she was actually born on that island where her mother was, there was a raging storm going on. That's why they call her Daenerys Stormborn. She has too many names. <laughs> and there's a bit of a longer piece to this prophecy that Melisandre actually tells us. She says, there will come a day after a long summer when the red star bleeds and the cold breath of darkness falls heavy on the world. In this dread hour, a warrior shall draw from the fire a burning sword, and that sword shall be Lightbringer, the red sword of heroes, and he who clasps it shall be Azor Ahai come again, and the darkness shall flee before him. That's sort of why she was tricked, I guess, into thinking Stannis might be this person because of his sword. Okay. Anyhow, now she thinks <laughs> it is John. Of course. A lot of people think it's either John or Danny, and they're looking for things to support that. Well, speaking of Melisandre, back to this episode, Brienne confronts Davos and Melisandre to tell him that she killed Stannis, and she doesn't forgive Melisandre for her dark magic. Yeah. This was a really tense moment. I mean, she came walking over with her sword just sort of hanging out. She's this very large, intimidating figure, and they're not even denying it. They can't deny that they created this. No, they can't. So she's kind of showing them, I could kill you both right now if I wanted to, and you deserve it, but I killed Stannis. He was the main person behind that, so I'm letting it go for now, but I'm keeping an eye on you. Yeah. <laughs> she walked away. It was like, awkward. And speaking of keeping an eye on... Did you see the googly eyes going on? Oh my goodness. I thought that was funny. That was their little comic relief this time. Uh, Tormund. Tormund and Brienne. It's blowing up all over the internet, podcast, everything. Well, when they first show up, Tormund gives that like deer in the headlights look like, oh. <laughs> and then he's creepy when they're eating. He's just like staring while eating glop. Well, and she's kind of, she's not acting negatively or positively about it. Mm -hmm. It's probably the first time she's ever been looked at in this way without people kind of making a joke out of it or playing with her. 
he is sincerely interested in her, which is actually kind of a sweet thing for Brienne, who's never had that before. And it makes total sense for him. He comes from a place where the wildlings have a lot of respect for strong warrior women. Oh, yeah. Now look at the way they treated Egret, because a woman was supposed to be able to take care of herself, essentially. Yeah. So he's looking at her thinking, this is my kind of woman. This is ideal. <laughs> she is a warrior. Um, and I, I like that. Even if nothing else comes of it, if it's not going to be this great Game of Thrones romance, I don't know about all that, but it was a, a sweet moment. I think so. So then we see some conversation between Sansa and Jon. Before I put my two cents in, what did you think of their reunion here where they were talking in the room, just the two of them? Well, I think what they were trying to portray was that Snow gave her the lowdown of what happened to him. I think she knows that he died. Um, you know, he's like, after what happened to me. And I think what were we... we they were trying to show us was how weak he is emotionally right now and how strong she is right now. She's very determined. She has the determination that Snow had, mm -hmm. the quote-unquote blind determination. She's very proud mm -hmm. to be a Stark. Um, and she's gone through a lot of shit, and she's ready to, you know, she's got, I got my brother back. We got an army here. Let's, let's take back what's ours. I mean, she just had to, deal with how many episodes of being in her own home and being trapped there. Yeah, I, I heard a lot of talk about this that another podcast stated and, and I agree to a certain extent that you haven't actually been able to see the real Sansa since season one since she left Winterfell. Mm -hmm. She's had to be in some sort of hiding cloaking her true self for one reason or another whether it was in King's Landing and she had to be a certain way so she didn't get tortured by Joffrey or killed by Cersei, then kind of going along with Littlefinger and being what he wanted her to be, and then trying to avoid Ramsay. So this is the first time we're getting a glimpse of her character development, who Santa actually is under all of that. We got teased it last season. Mm -hmm. Remember her? She was in the Eerie, walking down the stairs. Yes. And she looked like an adult all of a sudden. Yes. And, and she was carrying herself well. Mm -hmm. They teased it a little bit, but then she got, you know, shit happened to her again. So... I was less than impressed with the her we're seeing now, and I know this is the first moment and it's going to take time for her to develop into that, but um, uh, there was still something of the kind of young, a uh, little bit immature Sansa when she's like kind of forcing John, forgive me, forgive me. Um, I thought the whole, maybe it was the whole reunion between the two of them that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. They were almost trying to force the affection yeah. between both of them, where in actuality, I don't know if you recall, they were never even on screen together in the I, entire I Game recall. of Thrones world. I didn't recall. Uh, we saw her talking about him or slight references here or there. You know, she spoke about him not so nicely to other people, <laughs> that she was just a half-brother or he was a bastard. Um... But they have this, you know, sort of big apology moment. And I don't know, it was like, uh, you guys didn't even really ever interact. It was almost like ignoring each other and avoiding each other. And of all the Starks we would want to see unite, people were talking about how they were crying and this was so amazing. But these were the two that had the weakest relationship out of all the Starks. 
So it was a glad moment just because you want to see anybody that's good, especially Starks, get yeah. together. Absolutely, you want to see them live and come back together and survive. And I was really happy for that. Um, but the meeting itself was a little strained at first. When we go over to, you know, I, so she can't really convince them, she can't really convince John initially to leave, right, just with what right. she's saying. We go over to the letter, though, arriving from Ramsey. Before you go into that scene, I just want to touch upon the scene you were just talking about, uh, the reunion. It's family. It's still family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were young. She was very young. And, you know, siblings are do asshole things to each other when they're young. <laughs> and, I mean, they've both been through so much since they've seen each other. I think it's the same feeling you would get with someone that your brother who was your best friend mm-hmm. so I, I i think their emotions were true in that moment well I, I think along the lines of what you're saying it it was bound to be a little bit awkward given the fact that they didn't have this close relationship they were half brother and sister so there would be some of that natural kind of oh i'm so happy to see you what comes next and she kind of did go over that by saying I wasn't really always so nice to you in the past, was True. I? So, True. you know, I think that was bound to be a little bit strange. But yeah, like I said, seeing any two family members, especially Starks reunite, is great. And it got a little bit more natural and started progressing. I was happy when they moved to the next scene and the letter from Ramsey came. In the books, they called this the pink letter. Uh, the circumstances were a little bit different because Sansa wasn't actually at the wall. This all happened uh, out of sequence. So in the books, John hadn't been killed yet. When this letter came, it was Ramsay threatening him. John thought that Ramsay had Arya at the time. And right. if you recall, these are the two that were actually closest. John and Arya really loved each other. We know as the book reader that Ramsay actually had a fake Arya, uh, but John didn't know that. So he was truly livid he decided he didn't care about his vows he was going to leave to go back and save her and recapture winterfell to hell with it he wasn't asking anybody to come with him but a bunch of the wildlings and the night's watch stood up anyway and Mm -hmm. said we do want to come we do want to help you and ramsey's a threat to all of us anyway that's what led to the other brother saying this is the last straw man this guy thinks he can get away with whatever he wants now he's about to leave the wall and break his night's watch vows and that's when they stabbed him so it sort of made sense in that way but they're getting around to it in their own time in the show and i like it in the show ramsey is demanding sansa's return i want my bride back that's that letter was hardcore man it was crazy it was just as bad as in the books i loved where Instead of repeating, I want my bride back, in the show he was repeating, come and see. Right. Man, this guy's so twisted. So. <laughs> come and see bastard. Right? Yeah. He kept saying bastard. And he's got Rickon now in the show. Yep. Which is great. Is that Rickon, is that the one that Reek uh, pretended to burn? He pretended to burn both Bran and Rickon. Okay. Yeah. So... You know, not not great that Ramsey has him, but this is advancing the plot line in the same way. And it is what eventually convinces John to fight for Winterfell to do this. Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North. His father's dead. 
Ramsay killed him. And now he has Rickon. We don't know that. Yes, we do. How many men does he have in his army? I heard him say 5,000 once when he was talking about Stannis' attack. How many do you have that can march and fight? 2,000. The rest are children and old people. You are the son of the last true Warden of the North. Northern families are loyal. They'll fight for you if you ask. A monster has taken our home and our brother. We have to go back to Winterfell and save them both. So Tormund tells him the wildlings are behind him, but there's only 2,000 of them, which I was a little surprised about. I thought there were more, but I guess those who are in fighting shape uh, against Ramsay's 5,000. Really not a big contest. So Sansa tells him he needs to rally the Northern Bannermen. John needs to get these people behind him. They will fight for him. Now, I don't know about that. We've been led to believe perhaps many of them have switched their allegiance to Car yeah. Starks and the Embers. And they don't have cell phones <laughs> to call and be like, hey, you still on my side, man. And we're going to find Facebook out. Facebook pages to check. <laughs> <laughs> their friends are still. We're going to find out later that um, Littlefinger is convinced Robin to go and fight and save Sansa, but I don't think Sansa's gonna be happy to see Littlefinger after he just dropped her off in the middle of the Bolton mess. Yeah, but then she'll see that army behind him. But she'll yes, I think she might accept that nonetheless. Are we going to that section now? Um, sure, let's go over to the Vale. This was a big moment, right? Seeing Littlefinger return. It was a big moment, and I gotta be honest with you. Oftentimes when I watch Littlefinger, I'm rooting for him because he's fun to watch. Mm. I love he's clever. But this time I was just the whole time I'm like, this guy is an asshole. Yeah. It really came to the forefront what's always simmering underneath yeah. Littlefinger's brain. And I think primarily because this guy, Bronzion Royce, is essentially a good guy, right? He seems yeah. to be pretty honorable, pretty honest. He's taking Been care there. of and paying homage to this kid who yeah. is such a little puss of a ridiculous thing yeah. but he's doing it because that's what he's supposed to do he served Lysa even though she was a crazy lunatic mm -hmm. because that was his job and he was there before then too right he's been in that family mm -hmm. serving he, them he's been there forever since yeah. John Aaron and that's really I think where it goes back to is John Aaron was a great man so everybody that's been there this whole time is still defending this family for his sake yeah. in a way now, not only does he go up against him, but he was wrong. This was Littlefinger's fault. He mm -hmm. planned to drop her off in the middle of the mess, but obviously he can't admit to that. He has to turn around and say, oh, we were attacked and they took her. And, oh, really, it's got to be your fault because you're the only one that knew that we were going there. You're the only one that knew about the plan. So he flipped it right on its head. Just he, He's the master of manipulation, and you see it in its truest form to the kid because it's so much more simple with the kid. You don't have to use big words or roundabout words. Present him with a present. Buy him something cool. Um, show him, you know, oh, you, yeah, I'm always thinking about you, you know. And then just right away, no time spent, he's still looking at his present and you put the dagger in. Yeah. Do you want to throw this guy out the moon door? What do you think? Yeah. I don't think we could trust him. Because the guy puts the microscope on him mm -hmm. and he just 
changes the microscope real quick to hit to that guy. What's his name? Uh, Jan Royce. Yeah. Jan Royce. And it's just so easy. This little kid needs to get punched. I think I hate him more than I hated uh, the the guy that was going to be king before. Sorry. For Joffrey? The, yeah. It's, it is very difficult. And what was hard for me to get on board with was in the TV show, Littlefinger had already won his affections somehow. I mean, even when he first arrived, Robin ran up to him, Uncle Peter. I was thinking to myself, how did this happen? How did he pull this kid over? We didn't see any of that occur. So in the books, because Sansa did not go back to Winterfell to wed Ramsay Bolton, she was here in the Vale for quite a while. And after Lysa died, she sort of took the mother figure up with Robin. And he fell, you know, in love with her as a mother figure slash bride-to-be slash cousin. All of these weird, yeah. you know, typical of the relationship he had with his mother. And so he would do anything for her and thus anything for Littlefinger. Yep. Uh, a little harder to buy here, but the kid is nuts. And so I guess we just believe that he's done this kind of thing before and got him gifts. And Peter uh, Robin yep. now likes him. So it winds up with Jan Royce backing down, doing what he's got to do to stay alive, and Littlefinger then convinces Robin, you know, your cousin's in trouble. We got to bring the army to save her. Time to get it. What, what did he say? Time to get in the... Time to join the fray. Yeah. Now, this is really huge in a way that if you didn't get the book backstory... Um, the Eerie hasn't joined a battle in a long time. Right, because they've been safe, they're out of the way, right? The Eerie is virtually impregnable. That's what it's known for. If you stay up there in the castles, almost nobody can really get to you. You're safe. Um, John Aaron was essentially a peaceful man. He did join Robert's Rebellion because the Mad King threatened his wards, Robert and Ned, who he loved like kids. So he did join that, but afterwards, Lysa was so afraid because of his death that she's been holed up up there and not letting them get into anything. Um, so we discussed last podcast how there's really two armies left in Westeros that are fresh and virtually untouched from this War of Five Kings. Everybody's still recovering from... Um, the War of the Five Kings, from Rob marching south on King's Landing. The only people that really didn't get involved in that were the Tyrells, who we're going to talk about, that they have their army fresh to now do what they need to do in King's Landing, and the people of the Eyrie, the yeah. people of the Vale. And so this is going to be a strong army, and it turns out the way Littlefinger plans to use it is to retake the north? That's what that was going to be is my that question. Really, his goal? What what is he, what does he get out of this? I don't know. There's there's obviously he had to reset his plans with everything that went down. I'm assuming. And or this was is, this all part of his plan? Well, maybe. He's got so many twists and turns. I can't yeah. even keep track of his plans anymore. But this is this is definitely one step to a higher cause. I don't know what he's going to do. Um, maybe he just wants to be the head of the Eerie. I don't know. Well, he's... Because he's never... He's, he doesn't want to be king or anything, He's right? pretty much got the Eerie. Um, he's Warden of the East now. He's Master of Harrenhal. And if he took the North and he was Warden of the North, he would own more than... He would rule more than 75% of Westeros. Oh, wow. 
Okay. And, and I wouldn't count out that he has sights on the Iron Throne. I don't know. And even if he doesn't, this would be more than enough. Th- this would put him in a massive seat of power. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. So talking about Winterfell, we had one quick scene here where Asha's brought before Ramsay. Like we said, this was not a very good plan. She tried to talk and seduce her way out of it. Yeah. And for a moment, it kind of seemed like it might Might work work. because she was just so nonchalant and I was even buying the shit she was saying, but Ramsay is way too smart for that. Yeah. He's always anticipating something like that happening. And he, and he was, knew her He knew her backstory. He was a step ahead of her. Yeah. I think maybe if he didn't know her backstory and how she helped, he wouldn't have seen the bullshit. Through, he would not have seen through the bullshit she was feeding him. Mm-hmm. But he had a second knife there. Yeah. So he was prepared. He knew it was going to happen. Just the same way as when he knew Sansa was going to go bring the candle up to the broken tower. Mm-hmm. We always talk about him being a crazy psychopath, but there is a measure of intelligence there on some level. It's crazy. What I can't understand and a lot of people are talking about is he's so smart, right? He had this plan to take out John and the Night's Watch and John would have never known that was coming. He could have decimated him with the amount of men he has. And he sends this letter pretty much saying, hey, I'm on my way. Uh, I'm gonna, if you don't come here, I'm gonna come attack. Why would he let him know? <laughs> because he's, that's the way he is. He's always that way. He's arrogant? He's arrogant and he loves to be a bully. He's a bully. Well, the other part of that is if he goes against Castle Black, he's on the offensive. Mm-hmm. They can see him coming. They don't have a lot of men, but... And they gotta, they got to travel through that cold. We've seen right. what that travel does. Whereas we've heard before, Winterfell, you can pretty much defend from the inside one man to every 50 on the outside. Winterfell yeah. can hold its own. Yeah. So if you're holed up there and somebody's trying to attack against you, you stand a much better, better chance. Just the same way Stannis was planning on having to do this long siege and, and really kind of starve them out. It's the only way you get to these people. Yeah. And let, let's not forget, traveling is very difficult in that time. Yeah. Unless you're Littlefinger. Apparently he can go six different places in one season. And before we leave, one last question. So this is all sounding really great. Say Littlefinger comes with the men from the Eyrie. John takes the wildlings. You're leaving less than 50 men at the wall oh. to defend with White Walkers coming? An army of them? Yeah. Is anybody thinking right now? <laughs> I, I don't, How is that going to work? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, what if they come the day John and them leave and there's nobody there to defend the wall? I think John might be thinking if we get control of the north again, we can get an army. I can, I'll have their ears and I can get a lot more people to the wall to defend it. Which would make sense. But what if it all happens too quick for that? You're better off with the men you have right now. So, you know, screw Ramsey. Really, I mean, I know it's your brother. I get that. And it's your home. But none of that's going to matter if the White Walkers take everyone out. So after that letter, if it was about your sister, you wouldn't go? I think if we had enough time to know that Littlefinger's men were coming, I would keep the wildlings at the wall and send Littlefinger's men south. But he doesn't know that yet, so... 
I guess we got to wait and see if they actually leave next episode or if we have time to figure all of this out and plan the attack. Okay, let's go over to the Iron Islands. Another real quick but powerful scene with Theon returning. It's pretty much like a repeat, right? Of him coming home to his father and his father just standing by the, the fire there in that same room telling him, you are no longer a Greyjoy. Yeah, um, but it was more, uh, she was hurt and there was more love in what she was saying. It was, it was, there was meaning behind what she was saying rather than just like, I don't give a shit about you. Well, I think there was some meaning behind his father's words that were lost because we hadn't seen the relationship. I think his father was sad to a certain extent that he couldn't become the man he wanted him to be. But yeah, a lot more affection here and certainly... Yara upset over the men she lost, you know, men that have probably been with her a long time that came to try to rescue him, and he just basically was like, uh, no, I'm broken. Just yeah. leave. So that really struck her hard. And now on top of that, she thinks he's coming back to try to take his birthright to the throne. Right. Yes. So sort of... Uh, intimidation almost for a second there on her part even though this is the sad broken creature standing before before her her, she's still like don't challenge me for this i've been the one here this whole time and it's my right because she does back off when he says i'm sorry and i'm not here to try to take the throne i'm here to support you Mm -hmm. things change a little bit after that and we'll see where that goes next episode yeah in what way is he going to support how do you think he can help Uh, the, the way he is right now, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He's not even a, a person right now. But, I mean, I do think back to the days when he was whole and some of the good things he did for Rob, kind yeah. of as Rob's right-hand man. If he could get any of that back, perhaps he could be a good second to her. Perhaps, but remember, his people here didn't respect him when he was a whole man. Yeah. So, And they respect strength. So if they see him like this, I think she's going to have to do some work before people even, before they even bring him out yeah. in, in public. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know when this King's Moot is supposed to take place, but we'll see coming up. We have three locations left. Let's talk about King's Landing. We see Marjorie brought to the High Sparrow, this long speech that we talked about. Yep. The High Sparrow telling her his own backstory and urging her to stay away from this life of riches and sin. And she just seems to be kind of nodding and going along um, to get permission to see her brother. Yes. So she was just yes-yesing him so that she could see Loras. And he was just purposely going to take her in to see Loras so that he could use her to further break him. So they were both trying to serve their own means here. The High Spiral is a really good talker. Mm -hmm. And... You know, she's not as weak as her husband is. Husband. No. I mean, her husband was taken by his words. Yeah, she was not. No. Also, her husband wasn't getting whipped and shit. But, um... It may not have backfired, because we did... I don't think her brother... I don't think it helped her brother much. Maybe, but I don't know. He's still... He's broken. Well, I'm saying the High Sparrow wanted her to go in there. And have it break them even more. Right. And it didn't break her. She was she she saw right through it. But told. for him it was worse. Yeah. He was like, I am done. 
-hmm. when she tried to tell him you gotta stay strong he was basically like I'd rather die than do this anymore I can't take this um, so I don't know where that's gonna go but he's not gonna last much longer just worth noting that Loris had a, a bit of a really different role in the books he was a lot more prominent a lot stronger he was a hero figure of sorts to Tommen. Tommen was even younger in the books. And Loris was this great knight. He was part of the Kingsguard. Mm -hmm. And Tommen wanted him to teach him to joust and to ride. And, you know, he was this great rider, this great fighter. And he had a very close relationship with him. <clears throat> so this would have meant a lot more from a book perspective, that it wasn't just his newfound bride that he was so smitten with, but his hero, both being locked up in there. Um, Loris wow. is almost kind of losing his meaning. It's like, why do we care that he's in there and, and, and imprisoned and beaten, if not just because it hurts Marjorie? You know, he doesn't yeah. really have a role of his own. Then we go to see that we assume Tommen had revealed to Cersei behind closed doors that the High Sparrow was planning on giving this Walk of Atonement for Marjorie. Now, presumably, the High Sparrow told him that. That could be part of the High Sparrow's plan. He just fed him misinformation. You know, how can we assume oh. that he was telling him the truth? I, it was definitely part of his plan because he's setting him up. Mm -hmm. He knows they're going to try to strike. He knew it was imminent, um, only a matter of time. And this way, he's doing it on his own terms. He knows what they're expecting and when, mm -hmm. and he'll be ready for it. So they both here think they have the upper hand. The High Sparrow was feeding the information. Cersei thinks she has the upper hand because yeah. she's going to strike first. But why wouldn't, why, how, she knows about the High Sparrow at this point. Yeah, but they can't just do nothing any longer. I do agree with her on that. They yeah. can't just continue to let no. these people overtake. It was a mistake letting them one foot in the door, gone way too far. And in her own cunning little it's way, she goes in, stirs up shit, pulls on the heartstrings of Lady Olena, that mm -hmm. her two are in jail, and Kevin, that his son Lancel is part of these people, and don't they all want to see them removed? Yeah. And she gets the very large, untouched army of the Tyrells to come and fight her battles for her and take the sparrows out. How far away are they? Uh, it's It's... It's further south. It's kind of close to Dorne. It's going to be a decent ride. Because she's come back and forth. But yeah, I mean, so it's, it's not that time bad. travel is quicker when they want to be yeah. on the TV show. There's but, a lot uh, of boats. So they'll see them coming. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, that's a lot probably. of ships coming. But it is a big army. I mean, essentially, I know there's a lot of these sparrows, but they are peasants that are barefoot with clubs. True. This is a trained gigantic army that maybe can take them. Mm. So we knew that the Kingsguard and what was left of the Lannister army couldn't do it. So what we forgot to mention before all of this started, House Tyrell had arguably the largest army in Westeros. The Lannisters typically had the second largest, but Rob Stark had killed about half the army during the battle. And the Lannisters are, are pretty much bankrupt right now. So they can't afford to supplement by hiring new sellswords. So they're at half strength. And Cersei gets Kevin to say, we're going to stand down with the Kingsguard and the Lannister army. So it doesn't even look like it's the Lannisters doing this. Yeah. It's the Tyrells. She wins. Either way here, Cersei wins. If it 
comes down to it. Yeah, yeah. If it works out this way. Yep. Her son's going to die in it. If, if that prophecy is part of it. Oh, Tommen. Tommen, yeah. Yes. Um, if that prophecy is true, probably in this in this whole battle. Let's talk about that just for a second in case you have forgotten. Maggie's prophecy to Cersei was, Queen you shall be until there comes another, younger and more beautiful, to cast you down and take all you hold dear. Six and ten children for him, meaning Robert, three for you. Gold shall be their crowns and gold their shrouds. And when your tears have drowned you, the Valonqar shall wrap his hands about your pale white throat and choke the life from you. So that's the last line we did not hear on the TV show. And it does seem to be coming true, and I think it's affecting her way more than what you're seeing outwardly on the TV. I think she's making moves still the way she did in the book to try to vanquish these people that she sees it's the Tyrells and it's Tyrion. She's got to take them both out or they're going to get her. So that could also be her undoing, her paranoia about all of this. Okay, let's go quickly touch upon Marine and then get to where the real action was in Vase Dothrak. In Marine, we see a pretty important meeting take place where Tyrion arranges for this diplomatic sit-down with the Masters of Slaver's Bay and somehow convinces them, it seems, of a deal for peace. Yeah, but Se- maybe. Seven years to transition out of slavery and compensation for them to stop supporting the Sons of the Harpy. Yeah. This is complicated. Do you think they're really going to respect that for no. one second? No, but I think it's going to pause the violence. Mm-hmm. Enough time for Tyrion and Varys. Varys to get you know get a more of a handle of things that, yep. that's going on, and they've already done so much getting a handle of it, and to find out where the queen is. Yeah, it's a ceasefire essentially. They need a breather. Yeah, and get a lay of the land. Yeah. Figure it out. Figure out the chess pieces that they do have. And uh, in the end, there's going to be a war. Yeah, I was like at first thinking, you know, Grey Worm and Masandi, they support him publicly, which I didn't even expect that much from them. But then privately they object, saying, Danny wouldn't want this. And, right. you know, the Masters are only using you, and when she gets back, she's not going to be happy. And I'm thinking they're right. She's going to kill him if she gets back and finds out that he agreed for slavery to go on for another seven years. She's going to want to, but he's going to explain it to her with his words. Right, that this was just to keep your people from dying. And this is what's going. Here's the plan. Yeah. While you were gone, blah, 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 blah. We found out this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And these are the next moves we can make. Oh, a nice army. (laughs) I just don't want this to sidetrack her anymore because clearly if she's not there to reinforce whatever sort of deal they make Mm -hmm. or just wipe them out, it's not going to work. So I want want her to hurry up and get to Westeros. I want her to find some kind of way to get out of this Miranese knot, as we know that George has said he wrote himself into. Seems like one step further, because she's really finally making progress in this episode. Yeah. Ooh. Question. This is very random. Mm-hmm. Um, that disease, scales. Grayscale. Grayscale. Mm-hmm. Are Targaryens... Immune? Immune, yeah. I don't think so, because if you go by the book, 
George R. R. Martin has told us, and he could be playing with his words to a certain extent, but that she's not even really supposed to be fireproof the way we see her on the show. Okay. That that did happen when her dragons were initially born, but that was as a result of this miraculous dragon birth, partly the magic of Maggie the Frog. It was a combination of events. It's not like she has this amazing Targaryen thing. And even if she does have something, it's unique to her, not oh, it Targaryens. It's not all Targaryens. No. Oh. So he's saying it doesn't really exist at all. But even if it does, and we find out he kind of reneges on that a little bit, yeah. it's not all Targaryens. But so it's hard to say. The reason why I ask is grayscale kind of looks like dragon scales. It does a little bit. So maybe there's a meaning that we don't know yet about that. New prediction. Make a note, Chris. Well, there's also <laughs> something weird going on. Do you remember this lady Quaith that she met when she was in Carth? The one who wore that lacquered mask over her face mm-hmm. and was like giving her pieces of prophecy? Yeah. So she was a little bit more prominent in the book. And in case we forgot, what she said about prophecy was to go north, you must journey south. To reach the west, you must go east. To go forward, you must go back, and to touch the light, you must pass beneath the shadow. Seems like this is coming true for Danny. Um, she goes back. To go north, you must go south. Yeah. So first she came to Marine. Now she wound up back where she needed to be in the north with the Dothraki. To reach the west, Westeros, you must go east, which is this whole journey yep. she's been doing. Um, To go forward, you must go back. We can assume that's maybe metaphorically the way she's been doing in her storyline, going all the way back to where she started of being a prisoner of the Dothraki, really. And to touch the light, you must pass beneath the shadow. There was a lot of thoughts about this, that she might eventually go to a shy by the shadow, which is where this lady Quaith was from. Melisandre's been there. It seems to be the craziest of locations where anything could happen and she might learn more about the magic of the dragons some people say george might have initially intended for her to go there but the story got away from him and she's not going to go there anymore maybe so it could be something as very simple as she has to pass beneath the shadow of her dragons i mean who the heck knows that could be anything but it seems to all be coming true it might be these two dragons that she had chained up um maybe she they don't like her right now. She's going to have to do something dangerous. Mm-hmm. Where she, take, she could get eaten mm-hmm. uh, to get them back. Maybe. And maybe uh, the midget is going to be there to help her. How crazy would that be? <laughs> I think he is going to assist somehow with these dragons. That's what we're being set up for. Well, back to Jorah and Dario... They have this weird exchange. You feel pretty bad for Jorah that Dario is basically saying you can never handle her. Then he finds out he's got grayscale, which, by the way, I think is affecting him already because when they try to infiltrate the city and Jorah oh, goes up against fight. this guy, yeah. I know he was big and strong, but we just saw last season that Jorah is one of the best fighters in the kingdom. He was taking yep. people down in the fighting pits. Yeah. And he could do nothing. Nope. So I think it's already beginning for him. He was having trouble in the journey. Mm-hmm. He was sort of out of breath when they got there. Uh, typically, grayscale takes a long time to spread and really take effect, but it's different for everybody, and I'm nervous that he's got less time than we thought. Winds up being Dario that really kind of saves their butts because he did exactly what Jorah said not to do and brought his knife in there. Yeah. 
And just so happens that I guess Felicity is at work here. Danny goes out to use the bathroom, convinces this young Khaleesi to come outside with her right at the moment that they come up to meet her. Um, okay, whatever. Seems like they came up with some kind of plan there. Um, people were saying later, how did this place go up so quickly? How were they not able to get out? How did nobody know? Well, I think this was part of the plan, what they talked about off screen. Mm -hmm. When she says, we can't escape here, but I have another way, a better way. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, maybe they even put something down that was flammable inside of there. Or maybe it's just the fact that these floors are made of straw. They're living in a desert. Yeah. Everything is it's ready dry. to go up in a moment's notice. And we did see that they had killed the men that were guarding the front of the door. And it was barred. So I think they were part of that. So these cows are convening to decide her fate. They're saying a whole bunch of nasty things to her, disregarding her. She stands up and gives a pretty good speech, right? About how they're too weak to lead. That was a great speech. And it should be her. And when they're not even paying her any attention, she's like, all right, this is it. You're not going to follow, so you all die. And she tips over the braziers, and the whole thing goes up in flames. I love how she doesn't just, like, kick it or throw it. She places her hand on it and holds it. You know how hot that shit is? To show them. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was cool. And, uh, yeah, we can't play it here because it was in the Thraki. So we had to read it. The speech, yeah. yeah. But the speech was epic. It was just as good as her speech to the uh, slave owners. Yeah. When she got picked up her army. Especially because they were being just as rude and obnoxious as that guy was. The yeah. slave owner who was talking shit about her when he thought she couldn't <coughs> understand. Same thing happening here at first. They're talking shit about her and all of a sudden she starts speaking Dothraki and they're like, oh, you can speak Dothraki? Yep. Hello, she was a freaking Khaleesi. You guys are idiots. I really was only disappointed because I thought she was going to win them too. And that for me would have been really powerful if she was able to get these great cows to see her strength instead yeah. of just having to kill them. But there'd still be a lot of doubt and there wouldn't be all of them wanting to. This way, the rest of the army is like all about her now. Yeah, well, I, I wanted, I guess, some, some of both. Like I didn't want her to, she's getting to the point where when she can't win, she just burns people. And I don't want her to be that crazy Targaryen. It makes me like her less. That it's just like, dragons, flame on. Or if they're not here, I'm going to burn all you motherfuckers up because I can't figure out how to get you on my side. I don't mind it as much as you do. It this was a, the fire used in a different way. And I, I, I think she needed it because she's been weak for a whole season. She definitely needed a moment where she was strong, for sure. But it just makes me think about all those stories about the Mad Kings in the book. Uh, and every time yeah. a Targaryen was born, God flips the coin to see, are they going to be crazy or not? And all of the death and destruction that they wrought with their dragons when they couldn't get their way, they brought their dragons in and just burnt mm. whole cities to the ground. Oh, and, I see. Like, is she becoming that? Is essentially at the end of the day, are we going to start viewing her as a bad guy? Because she's not going to let anything stop her. I understand where you're coming from. And now that she's got a Dothraki army, now the Unsullied were a bit more pliable and peaceable. This army's gonna fight for her in the way they always have, which was to sack, rape, pillage, plunder, ruin cities, ruin towns. 
they're not just going to play nice. Yeah. Well, maybe they will for her. I think she's got so much to think about. A bit of a, a bit of an aggressive, crazy approach to things, and I'd like to see I, I miss Barristan being there to counsel her on like become like your brother Rhaegar, not your father Ares. Yeah. She needed his wisdom in her ear. And especially without Dora, she needs somebody to bring her down a few notches. She's got none of that right now. So hopefully Tyrion will wind up being that person for her. And, you know, it's something to say when she does react this way, it's the way she's being treated. It's not just like people saying you're wrong because she doesn't treat those people wrong. It's the way she's being spoken to and of respected. Course. And so that might be something. Right, um, right now. And as a, yeah, true. As a viewer... I think she has the three most epic scenes in all of Game of Thrones so far. Yeah. Well, they did the call back here, right? Mm -hmm. To when her dragons burnt up. Yep, so that the slavers, was one. The with sound. the dragons being born. Oh, and then the second one with the dragons burning the slaver. So that's number two. Same sound, yep. That sound. And uh, this one, number three with that sound. Yep. So, the, so again, to reiterate, the first one was being reborn in yep. the fire with, with the, the dragons. dragons. Second one, uh, the opening sequence of our podcast. Roasting the slavers. And it's like, meow. That's, that's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one. Yeah. She's, most, she's, she's awesome. I mean. Spectacle-wise. I hate to jump around, but she must own the throne this week, right? Who else could you possibly give it to? You want to talk about own the throne? I, I feel like we just went through a whole list and nobody even came close to yes. the upper epic proportions of what happened with her. So, who owns the thrones? I did put Daenerys, but I figured you would. So, um, I'm, I, I agree with you. But I would like to also throw in for Dickies, <laughs> um, Littlefinger. Uh, yeah. Because he owned that place. He owned the kid. He for owned sure. the town. Like, he just came in and just, bam, here's your present. Bam. You want to die? No, I'll let you live. For Bam, sure. we're going to go do this. Ramsey owned the wall with his pink letter. Um, yeah. He gets the Badass Bully Award, a.k.a. O'Doyle Rules. Mm-hmm. Cersei finally owned again in her own right by stirring up shit and causing King's Landing to do exactly what she wanted them to do. So as much as it felt like a week for the good guys, oh, you got Jon and Sansa reuniting, it's so happy. You've got Danny. Uh, burning these evil cows to the ground, it was a bit of underlying evil owning this week. Yeah. Um, I totally agree, and as much as I think this was epic of Danny, I worry for her too. So I would like to see a real, humane, good moment of owning the throne sometime soon. Me too. I guess that takes me to what do you think about the episode as a whole? Um, what is your Raven rating? I love all these episodes. I really do. My raven rating is eight ravens this week. It's definitely better than last week's episode. Uh, it was a lot more epic. Last week I did 7.5. And uh, episode one and two, 8.5 and 9.2. So I think it, it lies nicely as an eight. I, I was way down last week, and I'm going to go way up to 8.5 nice. ravens for this week because it, it was just such a slow felt like almost regression for me with last week's episode and we picked it up an awful lot this week i was really happy to see even where it was bad guys progressing yeah. we had real movement um same director right 
same new director as last episode? Yeah, it was the exact thing we thought, that each director has two episodes. Their episode one is a bit of build-up. Their episode two is action-packed. Yeah. So I just would like to see those transitions be a little more seamless, but I definitely, taking this episode in a bubble, really enjoyed it. So what'd you say, 8.5? 8.5. Nice. It's going to be a short wolf watch this week. Yes. <laughs> No sightings of wolves, no talk of wolves, no wolf anything. No dragons. Boo-hoo. And no dragons. And no White Walkers. Nothing supernatural. Nothing really. No White Walkers this season yet. Nothing magical, although we've been getting a lot of magic thrown at us this season. Yeah. So oh, yeah. We can hope for the future. I don't want to see White Walkers. It gets me all fucked up inside. Well, it gets me nervous too, <laughs> but they're amazing. I mean, I know I've said it before, but so often it is the intrigue of not seeing the bad thing on screen, knowing that you can't show too much because if you do, you're going to ruin it. But man, the White Walkers are not that way. Every time we see them, they are scary. They are epic. It's like a bad car accident mm -hmm. where it's so horrible, but you just can't look away. Yeah. I mean... They're intriguing. Yeah, they are. Something amazing is going to happen every time they're on screen. Um, I I'm kind of anxious to see it. I'm scared for our characters, for sure. On that note, sneak peek through the heart tree. We are going to see some White Walkers. You think so? What is the meaning of the door? Episode 5 is entitled The Door. I have no fucking clue. This could go so many different directions. Uh, but but uh, in the sneak peek, we do see that Bran uh, does see a White Walker, and they look at him. It's almost as if they see him. So Yeah, that's clearly in a vision. Mm -hmm. And clearly, like we were saying before, certain things can happen in these visions. Yeah. And perhaps this Night's King has the ability to kind of be in that vision with him simultaneously. Yeah. I mean, that's really, scary. that could get scary. He sees him. I wonder if it's a past vision or if it's a, like, true time. Present, yeah. yeah. I don't know, but the Night's King sees Bran. That's so, freaking scary. Son of a bitch. Um, hopefully we're going to see... We we missed two main characters in this episode, right? We didn't see Arya. Mm -hmm. We didn't see Bran. Yep. We didn't see Sam and Gilly. I don't know how oh, major yeah. you consider them, but Old Town is going to be a pretty big deal. So three, yeah. Um, and we didn't see anybody in Dorn. I mean, no real, Dorn. no real sadness there. But uh, I would like to get back to the other ones next episode. Anything else through the heart tree? No, I mean the door doesn't really take me anywhere quick when I think of the door. The door's a title doesn't really have a lot of meaning for me, although I can infer based on everything we've seen so far this season that, yeah, we are going to see maybe a little bit more of the White Walkers mm -hmm. backstory. We were saying, how would we get that? Yeah. How would we know? We don't even know if they can speak, but maybe Bran will show it to us. Now, I know they don't want to overuse that, like too much exposition through his visions, but the three-eyed crow did tell us that he has a lot to show him yeah and everything. this is something very important so surely we're gonna get some of that and i believe we're gonna see little finger i guess go to the wall first i was wondering how are they going to like are they gonna meet up right when they're about to go to battle because there's no cell phones again so how are they gonna know that they have an army with them 
Yeah, so Littlefinger knows that she's at the wall now. I think he's going to get there right before John can get the wildling army assembled to leave. How does he know? How the fuck does he know? Littlefinger? Yeah. I don't know, but he did tell Robin that mm. he knew that she had gotten safely to oh, Castle that's right. Black. So this dude knows everything. Who the heck? He always knows everything. So I think that it's going to be another um, fateful timing type of thing where he'll get there right before they're ready to leave. And uh, do we know what director? I do not for next episode. I wonder if it's one of their tried and true directors. I think they said they were going to have two newbies maybe back to back. Oh, okay. I don't well, really know. Well, it makes sense. Know. Five and six and then... Then seven, the tried eight. and true, so maybe, yeah. yeah. Seven, eight, and then nine and ten, which are the nine epic. and ten's got to be the yeah. the guy who usually does like the battle oh, scenes right. and. <clears throat> I wonder if he gets paid more. All right, so that that was uh, this episode. I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for listening, like always. Um, you know, typical things we ask of you: just let your friends know about us. Let's get this podcast going, growing. Um, Check us out on Facebook. We'd love to have some more interaction. We'd love to hear your predictions about what's coming, your wolf watch. I'm kind of fresh out of new info when it comes to the dire wolf. So anything you can bring to the table about that. We've been talking a lot about prophecy. I would love to get into that a little bit more. Yeah, Mr. Robot, when we were doing that show, which we will do again, we had a lot of people writing in on us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really enjoyable because we had a dialogue building. So we want to build that with Game of Thrones as well. That interaction was fun, and we do recognize there's a lot of GOT podcasts out there. So if you're tuning in, we greatly appreciate it. We want to do anything we can to keep this going and make it better. So please leave some suggestions, and thanks for listening. Until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me! Try again.